we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Risch, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we are continuing our weekly series with various accomplished and interesting people. We have usually been talking about science and medicine and COVID topics. That's really only a departure point for possible things that we could discuss. If listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.news forward slash pulse. Today, I'm, I'm very happy to introduce our guest, Dr. Toby Rogers. Dr. Rogers has a PhD in political economy from the University of Sydney in Australia. His doctoral thesis, The Political Economy of Autism, explored the regulatory history of five classes of toxic materials, toxicants, that increase autism risk. Dr. Rogers writes, speaks, and teaches on regulatory capture, on corruption in the pharmaceutical industry, and the revolution that we need to stop the epidemics of chronic illnesses in children. So Toby, let's start. What's been on your mind lately? Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm so appreciative of the work that you've done during COVID and before that, and it's just an honor to be in conversation with you. So this past week, there was an interesting article in The Economist about deaths of despair during the COVID era. And we discovered that deaths of despair spiked considerably during COVID. And what's interesting to me about that is four years ago, March 23rd of 2020, I wrote the first economic model that looked at the likely deaths of despair that were going to happen because of COVID lockdowns. This was early, early in the process. This was one week after Trump had announced 15 days to flatten the curve. And I was working at Children's Health Defense at the time. And I recalled that there was this literature, and you surely know this literature well, on social determinants of health, and in particular, deaths of despair. And I had seen it somewhere in, in grad school. I, I couldn't quite recall the particulars. So in March of 2020, I went and looked up all the sources. And sure enough, when unemployment goes up, bad things happen. So suicides go up, heart attacks go up, people die of, of drug overdoses, alcohol uh, poisoning, and also all sorts of other problems happen. Domestic violence goes up, child abuse goes up, people get incarcerated more, murder goes up. So when the federal government shut down the whole economy in March of 2020, I knew that that was going to have a severe toll on people's health because anytime unemployment goes up, bad things happen and, and, and deaths go up. So there were going to be all these deaths from the lockdowns in addition to whatever was happening with COVID. So I was the first person to model that back in March of 2020. And what's what's strange about that situation is the Trump administration picked up that argument throughout the end of March and April. They were talking about deaths of despair. They were talking about people are going to die of, of suicide and opioid overdoses. 
But then there were those who said, no, no, don't worry, we can lock down the economy with no harms. And so um, I knew that that was not true. My modeling showed that a lot of bad things were going to happen if we locked down the economy. And sure enough, this week, the economists confirmed that that the predictions I had made four years ago were on target. And those who said nothing to see here, well, those people fell for a narrative that just wasn't true. And, and I think it was just wishful thinking that we could have lockdowns without suicides, opioid overdoses, and alcohol poisoning going up, which is exactly what happened. Well, this is very profound. And, and the reason I say it, I'm not saying it from a hum, humanistic or, or a philosophical point of view, but from a public health point of view, which is that the essence of public health is to weigh risks versus benefits. That nothing is perfect in any direction, and there's always consequences of any uh, action or policy. And, and those have to be numerically, quantitatively evaluated. And you did that job for this particular set of mortality and, and consequent other conditions that would be changed by, by this intervention. And yet, the public health policies ignored that. And I've been making the case that the public health policies focused only on case counts and, and barely on hospitalization or, or mortality from the illness and ignored psychological harms, economic harms, freedom harms, and so on completely, rather than evaluating their, their negatives and somehow putting it all together in a risk-benefit analysis. Exactly. That's what's so mystifying about this whole past four years. The people in, a lot of people in positions of authority who should have done sober analysis of risks and benefits on everything, right? Lockdowns, masks, social distancing, various off-the-shelf treatments, vaccines, what have you. All of that all that collapse that didn't happen, that the people who did the best work were outside of the system, right? We're in a lot, well, some people started inside the system and then they were forced into exile. But a lot of the best thinking happened outside of the system. And what I've been trying to understand for the last four years, and I still can't wrap my head around it, is the social phenomenon that we witnessed, the sort of hive mind around the wrong answers, the sort of the, the sort of mental, I don't even know how to describe it, herd mentality, where people just fell into line and said, yes, we should lock down the economy with no evidence. There was no evidence whatsoever that this was a sound decision epidemiologically. There was no proper risk-benefit analysis going on. It has never before happened in history that the world economy could just be turned off. The, you can't do that without having tremendous loss of life. And, and I like to say that economies are big, slow things. They're like a super tanker on the ocean. You can't turn them around real quick. And, and if you trigger a recession, you'll be lucky to get out of it in two years. The Great Depression was 10 years. You can't just turn off the economy and think that that's going to work out okay. So there was a, I don't even know how to describe it, a hypnosis, a psychosis, a, a sense in which the smartest people in society or a lot of the smartest people in society lost their way and lost their heads and stopped doing the exact sort of work 
that we needed done during this time period. Now you did brilliant work and your work was exactly what people should have been doing during this time period. But but dissidents like you and me, we were few and far between, particularly in March, April of 2020. Well, I'm just Christ-eat independent and, and believe what <laughs> nature says, not what people say. You know, uh, as I say, evidence has its own existence. It doesn't matter <clears throat> what people say about the evidence. It matter, The evidence matters for itself, its own right. <clears throat> and so I believe the evidence. I don't believe what people say about the evidence. And that should be everybody's standard for evaluating evidence. <clears throat> and, and we didn't do that largely throughout the pandemic. And certainly not the powers in control didn't do that in any objective way. No, it was so very strange. And, <clears throat> and what explains this to my way of thinking is that about a week into the declared emergency, control of the pandemic was given to the National Security Council, which is a militarized military entity and not to our public health institutions. And they defined the virus as a bio-warfare agent and they defined the vaccines as countermeasures. And those definitions matter because how you approach their management switches from medical and public health to military. And military concerns about collateral damage are totally different than public health concerns about collateral damage. That public health has always attempted to absolutely minimize all of those things. For example, in past attempted vaccine rollouts that have led to things like 28 cases of Guillain-Barre, the vaccine was, was removed from the marketplace after that number of unusual adverse events, okay? It's not, it wasn't said, this is a countermeasure and the whole world's gonna die unless we keep it there. See, that we operated under a concealed military model, which was unwarranted. And the reason for that is because we have a whole secret um, industry in the country of biowarfare. And that secret biowarfare industry was A, what led to this pandemic happening, B, was forced to cover it up because of its misrepresentation of its reasons for existence. And that's been the problem that we expected our, you know, rational people expected this to be a medical public health solution to the pandemic. And that's not what we got. We got a cavalier, crude, one-size-fits-all military response to it that damaged many people in many ways. All of the, the deaths of despair, the vaccine harmed and injured, the you know, and COVID harmed and injured and long COVID people and all these things that were more or less unnecessary collateral damage happened because of the military motiva- motivation for how the pandemic was managed. The, the, the paradox though, as I think about this, is that the sectors in civil society who upon seeing a militarized response to a virus from the Trump administration that they hated fell into line. The, the very sectors of civil society that I would expect to push back against 
what you just described, right? A, a militarized pandemic response where civil liberties disappeared, where where um, where the Constitution was ignored, that sort of thing. You would think that Democrats, the left, would say, not in your life. No way am I going to allow the military to tell me what to do. No way am I going to allow the Trump administration to shut down the economy. All the sectors of society. Trump did, we, we do the opposite. Yeah, that's the weird thing, right? There's this sort of oppositional defiant disorder in society where even the things that Trump got right, they would do the opposite of. And 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 it's striking how ineffective he was at implementing the things that he was right about. I mean, so his inability to get hydroxychloroquine out of the national stockpile to people, he, his own staff disobeyed his direct orders, right? Rick Bright refused to release it from the national stockpile. His inability to actually run his own administration meant that the promising ideas he did have fell by the wayside. But I'm just struck by the fact that the media, a lot of universities, a lot of public health officials who should have been more skeptical were not. So the fact that the Biden administration just followed afoot what the Trump administration, maybe against Trump's better, you know, knowledge or so on, but whatever, what they actually did do, um, happened, suggests that neither one was actually in control of all of that. That there is what Trump called the deep state that continues it, its same people from administration to administration, and they were the ones who were in control of this whole problem. And you know, um, Bobby Kennedy in his book on the, the COVID, the Wuhan cover-up, talks about this at very, very great length. And, and any listeners who haven't read that book should get it and read it. Um, and recently, Alex Washburn, who's a, a virologist, has written on his Substack uh, a, a synopsis of the, the pandemic origins and the research that was done in Wuhan at, at our tutelage and how, how this whole came about through the, this bioweapons industry. And my understanding of the overall goal of the military approach was their recognition that they have been making prohibited offensive bioweapons for 25 or 30 years under the claimed guy's goal of vaccine production that supposed two, two prongs, one that our enemies were doing this, therefore we had to compete, uh, which is nonsense because you don't have to use a biological weapon against a biological weapon attack. You can use conventional chemical and nuclear. And, and secondly, that their rational rationale for developing offensive bioweapons, which is COVID is one from gain of function research, is only to the degree necessary in order to make vaccines. However, I would point out that all of these people who did this have never produced a vaccine in the last 25 years for any of these bioweapons. And therefore, it's a sham claim that, that it was. And once this, this virus escaped, the only rationale for continuing to justify the entire industry is that there was a vaccine that was the countermeasure to solve the escape of, of this toxic virulent virus. And so the vaccine had to be rolled out at all costs with complete suppression of anything negative 
about the vaccine in order to show that that the whole endeavor, the whole bioweapons endeavor was one to support vaccination as the solution to these problems. And that's why the vaccines had to be pushed at all costs, no matter the science, no matter the evidence, no matter who was saying it, that that was the bottom line coming from the top of the military infrastructure. Well, and now we're stuck, right? So we have widespread use of these mRNA shots. I guess the demand is cratered now to single digits, but a lot of people have this inside their bodies. It hasn't worked very well, hasn't made much of a difference as far as COVID, comes with horrible side effects. And yet people are doubling, the people who should know better are doubling down on mRNA and want to put mRNA into all different shots and put it into food and put it into livestock and, and that sort of thing. We're, it was clear, it's been clear to people like you and me for, you know, since December of 2020 that this was the wrong path, but now they've invested so much in the wrong path. I think they're reluctant to admit error now, possibly because of fears of criminal prosecution or what have you. But I mean, I can't imagine a bigger disaster for their side than what they've pushed on us over the last four years. Well, I agree. Um, why don't we take a, a break here? We have a commercial break coming, so we'll take a break and we'll be back shortly. Everybody, please stay tuned. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on americaoutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, americaoutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use Cofix RX because it works. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch with Dr. Toby Rogers. So we were just discussing why the plans, the militarized plans of pandemic management that led to a what has now been seen over the longer term as a failed vaccine approach, the mRNA vaccine approach, has instead of being jettisoned by society in favor of rational criticism and considerations, however, has been 
dug into and, and, and reinforced by, and being pushed by aspects of, of our society. I think in response to your statement about that, I'd say that what's happened is the companies that make this stuff have recognized the gigantic profit motive that what happened in the pandemic, even with the maladministration, the inadequate or incorrect use of, of these vaccines, they got a foothold in the market and they're not willing to give up that foothold. They're trying to maintain the foothold with the failed product while they get a, a foothold with a, and a legitimized overlapping series of products that they can claim authority based on the, the supposed um, approvals of, of the first batches of them. Though I would say that this is a, a more subtle thing than to say that the vaccines have failed because there was evidence that the vaccines did something to virus infection in the outset of their use, that they did suppress infection to a degree in the first three to six months of the rollout. And then we started to see their failures and the boosters and the failures of the boosters and on and on and on to the point where that the CDC in, in mid-20 and late 2022 admitted they were failures for transmission uh, of, the, of the, 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 the virus and on and, and on that way. And, and so you're right, scratching your head saying, why are they still pushing vaccination when number one, we've got Omicron. So the disease is, is essentially a mild flu-like illness for almost everybody that uh, the vaccination is no longer effective for dealing with it, that it comes out uh, and lasts for such a short length of time before there are new variants that take over that have escaped from the vaccines that, and most people have had COVID and have major degrees of natural immunity and don't need the vaccines on that basis. And yet, in spite of all this rational evidence, there's still all of this push, push, push by government contracts to media saying, we've already paid for $10 billion in advertising, so you keep advertising etc you know that no, the general population is recognizing all of this and and scratching its head like we are saying what's all this coming from you know covid is endemic and low level and omicron and not very virulent and we just get through it as another part of the minor adversity of, of human life in modern society just like we deal with flu and car accidents and and things like that Yes, I'm worried that we may have shifted into a completely different basis of our economy. So in a, in a former era, and I'm a political economist, so this is the stuff that gets me excited. In a former era, you would make stuff, you'd sell stuff, and that would produce all sorts of benefits in society. So if you- When make, are we talking about? About 1820? Sure. I mean- Pick, pick any era in human history up until up until recently. Um, but there but if you make stuff and you sell stuff, there's all sorts of downstream benefits that happen as people who are engaged in that transaction now have money to spend on other things. And you get this multiplier effect throughout the economy when you spend money on on making good things. And what worries me about the current economy is, I see the pharmaceutical industry thriving and growing, but my concern is that 
particularly with Pfizer, Moderna, and some of these other vaccine makers, that they make a certain amount of money from the shots in the first place, right? So they make, you know, 30 to $50 billion on the shots in the first place. But then there's all these harms that happen. There's myocarditis and there's strokes and there's heart attacks and, and accelerated cancers and what have you. And, and they make money on the products to fix those. That's my worry. And my worry is that the amount of money they're making from the downstream harms is actually much greater than what they made from selling the product in the first place. So unlike an earlier era, we get these positive downstream effects. Now we're having sort of negative sum economy where everything they put into society leaves us worse off. And then they make money from leaving us worse off through the treatments that they sell us for, for the harms that they cause. And that shows up in GDP, gross domestic product, as great economic activity. But from a human standpoint, we're miserable, right? We're sick, we're miserable. People have all sorts of side effects that they're trying to manage and trying to stay alive. So you have the appearance of robust economic growth as Pfizer books both the the sale of the COVID shots and the sale of all the downstream treatments. But the reality is, is people are living lives of misery and pain and, and chronic disability and chronic illness and death. So I'm extremely worried that we've shifted into an economy where that's the basis of our economy. And then these companies pump money into the media to buy them off. And we know that's happening. They pump money into the political system to buy off elected officials. And they reward regulators with jobs and stock options and that sort of thing. And none of that's prohibited. And so suddenly we find ourselves in a dystopian economy that none of us would have signed off on in the first place. But that's what the U.S. does now. That's how we make money. And it's an enormous problem. And that's that's why I speak in revolutionary tones about the change that we need. It's not just that we need to get dangerous products like these COVID shots off the market. It's that the entire basis of our economy needs to shift from poisoning people and profiting from that to something much more productive and wholesome than what we have right now. Well, that was the issue of regulatory capture, that the whole point of regulating companies is to keep toxic products out of the marketplace. That is the primary function of the FDA, that, that its whole existence is predicated. It just did another food recall on Cotisha cheese today or something, you know, for, from Listeria. That's its bread and butter. Its day in, day out function is to keep from or remove adverse products from the marketplace to protect consumers and protect the society. So these unintended consequences, how, how the, the regulatory state of affairs has evolved to allow the complete corporatist control of this industry. And this is something that we dealt with, um, you know, interlocking directorates, monopolies, restraints of trade in the 1930s, when corporatism threatened to take over the, the, the capitalistic system. However, we let it run rampant in the modern period and We've done it because we didn't recognize that individual companies could be uh, themselves monopolistic in domains that only took one company to do. So even though pharma, even though Pfizer and Moderna each make competing products, each one is so large 
that it controls so so much resources that it can monopolize the government, the the media, and the regulatory agencies on its product, and and so there's no check and balance on on that, and and so the it is a fu- a functional monopoly, even though it has competition because each company is a functional monopoly. Yeah, that's what's so heartbreaking to me about what's happening right now. Look, I'm a good progressive. I love the reforms of the progressive era and the regulatory agencies that were set up to restrain companies, to restrain meat packers, to make sure that we don't have adulterated food and medicine and that sort of thing. And and unfortunately, all of those agencies have now been captured. So it's across the board. It's not it's not one. It's CDC, FDA, NIH, EPA, USDA. They're all captured. And so they were initially designed to protect the public interest. And now they work on behalf of the corporations that they're supposed to regulate. And, and that wasn't supposed to happen. Now, one of the things I discovered in my PhD research, I assumed when I was working on autism that I could show that a particular committee of the CDC or the FDA was captured in connection with a particular approval of a, of a particular product and a particular vaccine. It's so much bigger than that. Regulatory capture is not about one agency. It's in the case of the pharmaceutical industry, they've captured the entire knowledge production process. So they capture continuing medical education, they capture curriculum at colleges and universities, they capture the media, they capture politicians, they capture the entire system. So there it's a it's a self-contained system. You're never outside of the the set of ideas that they shape and influence through their their ability to shape the conversation, shape the narrative. And and so the change that we seek, it's so much bigger than just stopping the revolving door at the FDA whereby regulators go and work for Moderna and and Pfizer and that sort of thing. By the way, Doran Fink, who was one of these guys at the FDA who was in charge of the COVID vaccine approval process, I watched every meeting of the FDA and CDC's expert advisory committee in connection with vaccines for two years. He He's working in Moderna right now. He got all the vaccines through and then three months later he went to work for Moderna. But the problem's bigger than that. We don't just have to stop corruption at the FDA. We have to reform the knowledge production process so that pharma hasn't captured all of that. And 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 that's just a longer term battle that we're going to be engaged in for decades. So what I see after I haven't watched these these approval review meetings, but I've read some of the responses to them and, and some of the, the, the text from them. And what I feel is that these people are basically psychotic, that, that they're, they're intellect, psychotic intellectuals. And what I mean by that is that they believe in the goodness of what they do, that they think they're providing a service, they believe in the goodness of these products, and they don't realize how that subverts the objective regulatory dis- evaluations and decisions that this causes. So they are basically taking the viewpoint of, well, we know this vaccine is good, so let's just find how we can show it's good. That's their basic approach. 
And yes, we have some uncertainties and we're not really sure how to deal with the uncertainties. So we'll put them aside in our cognition and just ignore the uncertainties and, and try to pretend that this looks good because we want it to be good, because we want the vaccines to work and so on. And the, the higher the stakes, the bigger the stress is in society over these things, the bigger the cognitive dissonance and psychosis happens. That people like Fink and others are totally engaged in the idea of the goodness of what they want to bring to their jobs, what they want to bring to the country. They, are, they totally believe in themselves without recognizing that this totally corrupts their ability to do objective fact and evidence-based reviews of all this stuff. So at the, at, on the one hand, we know that they are ignoring and cherry-picking evidence, and they themselves will turn around and say, oh, well, what we ignored is low quality. We don't think it's very good. They, they will use subjective evaluations. They'll smear criteria saying, well, we don't really need to use a totality of the evidence. We can use the important evidence and, and things like that, that they smear the distinctions of things that are actually literally, you know, detailed instructions and procedures in FDA's regulations about how this is to be carried out. And they sit there and they think, well, I'm the important intellectual smart person. I'm going to just do my best job and not going to worry about those details. And so I'm, I, I, you know, I believe in myself. I'm a good person. Why shouldn't I be able to do that? That's what I have all this education and training for. And so I'll just do that and convince others of the goodness of this. And, and that's how these things get through with no awareness whatsoever of the fact that this is goes back to the banality of evil, that this is just a, a, an intellectual psychosis of theories about life rather than the reality of the common sense evaluation of empirical data in front of your eyes. Yeah, it's surreal to watch these meetings of these people who have no humility, who begin with, as you say, the assumption that, of course, these things work. And so then they just try to figure out how to ram them through as fast as possible and get them out to the world as fast as possible. That runs against all of the norms of science about disinterestedness and humility. And one would want a process where you actually have opposing views who really tear apart the proposal and look for any weakness, you know, like a like a red team that they have in, in military wargaming planning. There's none of that. There's no skeptical questions. Because look, in these meetings, they're all auditioning for a job with Pfizer and Moderna and, and these other companies that they're regulating. They know that these companies are watching what they do. And, and so they're on their best behavior because they want to be impressive to, right. to the and they've been industry. Carried. And they've What's been cherry picked to be on those committees. Exactly. They've those been they've been chosen for their ideological conformity. And then making matters even more surreal, there's a public testimony section right in the middle. There's like an hour for there, there is an hour for for public testimony. And so in many of these meetings, you'd have eight, 10, 12 vaccine injured people testifying about the harms that they had experienced about strokes, about heart conditions, about disability, about them being unable to work, we would absolutely win the, the public testimony section 
And it's unclear if they just don't listen to those sections of the meeting or what, because I mean, these are all happening on Zoom, right? So, so, and, and during a lot of these meetings, you can't see the faces of these regulators. And so who knows, maybe they turned off, maybe they turned off their computers and went to have lunch or something like that. But, but then they would turn around and say, there've been no deaths, no heart attacks, no strokes for, from, from these COVID shots. And as if the public testimony hadn't happened at all, the the level of moral violence inflicted on on these people is just shocking. That that you know these so-called experts could be so callous in their response to the testimony right in front of them. I'm glad that the meetings are meeting in person again now, although the vaccine injured probably can't travel to them. But the the callousness that I witnessed. It just shocked my conscience and, and bruised my soul. I've, I've never seen such callousness. Yes, I, I agree with you. Well, we've got to another commercial break point, so let's take a pause and everybody please come back. Now, George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Dr. Toby Rogers. We were just talking about gaslighting and denial of adverse evidence in regulatory approvals and, and vaccines and, and so on. Um, I think that, you know, we've seen the ubiquitous gaslighting throughout the whole pandemic. And interestingly, uh, I saw recently in a, a chapter being written by Dr. David Wiseman, his discussion of one of the Verbeck committees, 
talking. That's the the vaccine re review, with, which is external scientists being brought to review the benefits and supposedly risks of the, of the vaccines. This was for the childhood approval of the vaccines. And as we know, the childhood approvals, I think for the boosters, had no actual empirical subjects being tested. It was all based on what's called immunobridging, meaning that looking at a sample, a small number of, of mice and the antibodies that they made versus the antibody levels made um, in adult mice uh, and comparing them and using that as evidence for immunity that would supposedly be generated in children. And one of the external scientists said, what evidence do you have that immunobridging is a valid marker of immunity, that antibody levels is a valid marker of immunity? Because as everybody knows, antibody levels wane over time and people stay immune because the immune system has multiple axes of function, one of which is that it doesn't require antibodies to stay in the bloodstream forever because if it did, our blood would clog from all the infections we've ever been exposed to. So the, our immune systems stay primed and ready to act without having circulating antibodies necessarily at, at all times. And so he was saying, you can't trust antibody levels. What evidence do you have that, the, that this immunobridging, which seems plausible, something else that I've argued against, plausibility versus actual science, it seems plausible, but yet you, you haven't provided evidence. And they said, well, yes, you're right. Uh, we don't have that evidence, but this is the best we can do. So we're going to use it. And, and, you know, he and he pushed back and a couple of times and said, yeah, but that's not good enough because you're making a regulatory decision here that affects people's lives. And if you don't have good enough evidence, you can't go forward with a regulatory decision. You have to hold off on, on making that decision. And they said, basically, we don't care what you say because we're in an emergency and we have to do this. That was that that is how I read between the lines of, of what they said. Right. And, and they, again, thought they were good people doing good by that. Not that they were somehow Nazis being employed by a Nazi pharma government compelling them to do that or their families would be murdered. They thought they were doing good. Yeah. Yeah, the guy at one of these meetings said, we're never going to know how these things work until we release it into the population. And that's never been the way that regulation has been done in the past. And yet that was the mindset. And then they say, well, well, we'll catch it in, we'll catch any problems in post-market surveillance, post-marketing surveillance. But we know that the, the surveillance systems by FDA and CDC are inadequate. And then, and then we know that they're inadequate, but then the vaccine adverse event reporting system, they continually pour cold water on it and say, no, no, that's not reliable, even though we've already seen 30, over 30,000 reports of death from COVID shots in the in the VAERS system. And so so they, they say that they're going to catch harms after the fact, but then they don't actually do a proper job of of monitoring what happens in society. It's it's but it's confirmation bias all the way. They do have that. They have um, various data sets from the um, in health insurance companies and medical records companies. They have health insurance data on some 446 million Americans. You might ask how that's possible. So I guess there's overlaps in the databases. And they have medical records data on 
both Medicare and, and other insurance carriers to the tune of probably 250 or 300 million Americans. They know everything that's happening in these databases. And yet they are completely non-transparent. And in October of 2020, before the vaccines were rolled out, the FDA and the CDC promised that they would make the results of these databases analyses public to show that they were monitoring the adverse events of these vaccines. And, and they have not done that except to the degree that they've been legally compelled to under FOIA orders. And they, they of course, they resisted that and people had to go to court over the FOIA orders to get that stuff released. And so we know the number of, of, of deaths that have been occurring. We know all the adverse reactions. We know all the breakthrough, uh, you know, uh, events that uh, infections that occurred after vaccination in, in 2021 and so on. This, this has emerged as public knowledge or available public knowledge. And yet they are still, you know, kind of denying in denial that this is meaningful. And they, and they, when you say this is your data and they say, no, it's not, where'd you get this? We don't believe that, that it's accurate and, and, and so on, you know, and, and, and I think the, the problem here is an analogy that I've made many times, which is the engineer builds a, a bridge over a river and it's 99.99% safe. And he says, as an engineer, what a great job I did. Can you imagine something that works 99.99% of the time? That's unimaginably good. And then he finds that, well, there's 100,000 people driving their car across this bridge every day. And so every day a car drops into the river. And you ask the people about it, and they say, this is a killer bridge. Day in, day out, somebody dies on this bridge. So you have two, and, and, but, and you ask the same people, yes, but if you had to go to the post office on the other side of the bridge, would you do it? And they say, sure, of course. My risk is so low. Of course I would do it. So at the same time that you have something that is by design pretty good, it can still be causing substantial amounts of harm, and both viewpoints are tenable at the same time. And because of the political and economic circumstances, you have people clinging to one viewpoint or the other at opposite poles, and nobody willing to talk or admit that the other actually is happening at the same time. And that's where we stand now, where our whole machinery of state and, and economics thinks that these are perfect, wonderful vaccines without collateral damage, and we, seeing that they were used in a trumped-up, unnecessary way that the pandemic could have been managed largely without them, see that the damage that they've caused, while infrequent from the other's point of view, is still so substantial and important that it has a, a major effect on society going forward that needs to be addressed in a fair, just, equitable, practical way. That's the problem of, of the reasoning of infrequent outcomes that each side can dig in and not see the other and claim justification. And when you inject 5.5 billion people or whatever the number is up to now worldwide with these things that haven't been sufficiently tested and we know that there's a certain rate of harm, that, I mean, ethically, is completely unethical and it never should have proceeded and yet fear causes people to do crazy things and we've ended up in this situation where 5.5 billion people 
they've been injected with a product and we don't know, we have no long-term safety data. And, and, and to your point, yes, social security, Medicare, military have good databases, but that's not what FDA and CDC talk about. They talk about these leaky, poorly designed systems, fairs, V-safe. Fairs is theater. That, that is basically public theater to make it look like there's something out there that they're monitoring. Right. But there's not, there's no, there's no proper, there's, you know, there's no proper leadership coming from the regulatory agencies that's doing the due diligence day in and day out to make sure that we're safe. There, that just does not exist. And we live in a world where you're on your own. You have to, you have to make decisions for yourself because the regulatory agencies have failed so badly in response to not just COVID, but to, you know, also to the pharmaceutical industry in general. That's the area that I know best. And and the pharmaceutical industry knows that they can get any product through the regulatory process because those guys are in their back pocket and and they're all auditioning for a job with these pharmaceutical companies. And it's just a shambles and it's an embarrassment that that's our system in the U.S. It's not just here. It's the same in Europe and, you know, and, and other places. They've, they've gone around the world in corrupting the, the whole system. You know, the, the, cost, the, the cost of making a, a new successful drug is $3 billion. So it costs a billion dollars to do the science because 99 out of 100 attempts fail. And so one out of 100, you actually succeed in something that you think is likely to be safe and effective. So then that goes, so that's including all the randomized trials and so on. So then they spend double that, $2 billion on marketing. What does that $2 billion cover? It covers all of the corrupted advertising for all the lay media, all the corrupted advertising and control of the medical journals, all of the supported uh, experts, uh, academic uh, medical experts, and all of the major universities who are the spokespeople for all of this, all of the grants to those institutions to do so-called science for some of them that corrupts everybody else who can't speak against the, the 10 million or $40 million that the university is taking in and so on. That $2 billion goes a long way to corrupting the entire landscape of the, the whole perceived response to the, the, the new drug being launched in the public domain. And, and, and they know that. And so they plan on make the economy, economics is they plan on making 30 billion, taking in 30 billion. They put 5 billion away for the eventual lawsuits. They put that in escrow. They paid 3 billion to get it out there. So they've made 22 billion for their stockholders and, and so on. And that's, the, you know, and then after this process ends and becomes generic, then they go to the next one. You know, it, it's a get in with a dirty thing, make what you can, you know, and get out and then and, and escrow what you need to, to get out safely. And the problem with that is that this model is only an economic penalties model, not a legal penalties model. If the escrowed um, money for the damages from lawsuits generated um, criminal complaints and penalties, not just civil ones, this would stop. But of course, as you've noted, essentially all of the PACs of, of all of our representatives are corrupted with such large amounts of, of this money that criminal penalties for this bad behavior will never occur. One of the things that I think contributed to the crisis that we're in right now is that a lot of blockbuster drugs were coming off of patents 
right? So a lot of the SSRIs were coming off of patents and statins were coming off of patents. And so pharma needed a new revenue stream and mRNA shots, GMO mRNA shots seemed to be that new revenue stream. And then, you know, putting mRNA into everything became the new revenue stream. Well, new and improved isn't in this case, right? We've actually gone backwards. And so there's a very profitable line now. There's a very profitable new line of products. And yet we're worse off than before. And But the pharmaceutical industry pushing for the latest and greatest newest thing, well, sometimes you end up worse off than if you just, you know, not done anything at all. But they had to get new profits. So that's what they did. Right. I, I understand. Um, so this is a conflation of this monopolistic um, corporate corporatist fascist control co-op, you know, co-opting of, of our government and the regulatory process from the economic side with the, the military biowarfare industrial collusion on that side. And these two parts of the system are so large and so controlling that we have very little tools in the way of getting out of this. Although, you know, I'd say a, a good 200 million or 250 million Americans now know that this is happening. They've seen all of the, the publicity on non-standard, non-traditional media sites that have clued them in that this is just not business as usual, that there is all this stuff going on that have, has been secret to them before and now is public knowledge. And to the degree that people are asking questions why, it's motivating them to be angry about all of this. You know, back when there was the suppression of hydroxychloroquine in the early, in the first year of the pandemic, I was showing the data showing how good this drug worked to prevent mortality when you started in the first five days in use in outpatients. And basically saying, look, people out there, you don't have to wait, sit at home and die over this. You can get your doctor to prescribe this stuff. And if he's not, you should be angry. And if the society is suppressing this, you should be angry because this is a legal medication and doctors are allowed to use it. And if they're not, it's because they're afraid and you should be pushing back on this. And this is how people are going to survive the pandemic and you should be angry over it. And, you know, I don't know whether people heard that or not because it was all on alternative media sites. But the, the antidote to fear, that's the psyop of fear that's been the propaganda regime of, of our government for the last four years, if not longer, the, the antidote to that is anger. Well, there's two antidotes. The antidote, one antidote is mockery and the other is anger. And that's what needs to be done to push back against this regime of malice and evil that's been perpetrated on us, you know, under the guise of, of fear-mongering media interests. Media interest has always been fear-mongering. That's yellow journalism. It's always been that way in the modern era. So it's not, wouldn't expect that they would do anything else uh, under that model for their economic viability. But all the rest of, of the, the pandemic, fear-mongering, disease X, you know, the theater of, of disease X that I've been saying, this is just absolute fiction that, you know, and more fear-mongering to align people to take the net to the next blow against their interests is, is what that's for. 
And, you know, and we should be rightly angry about that and pushing back about that and saying, if disease X comes, we're not just going to take your countermeasures of locking down and masking and so on. We are going to revolt because we know that if disease X happens, it comes from an intentional manufacturer of an agent that either unintentionally or accidentally or intentionally leaked out that we don't want this industry. This industry is immoral, unethical, should have been ended in, in the um, 1975 uh, pandemic by a weapons treaty that we signed but never ratified. This whole industry should have been ended and that is the real bottom line to the, the underlying forces that have driven this thing into and through the, the American public, if not the world public. Yeah, I feel like the CIA, NSA, DOD historically has seen their role as opening up new markets for American corporations. And unfortunately, right now, the new markets that they're opening up are creating gain-of-function virus pandemics and creating these vaccines and whatnot. And it's a, it's a rather sinister turn. I mean, I guess overthrowing democracies throughout the world since World War II is also problematic. But this this turn in which they're now directing their energies towards our own bodies and our own cells and looking to colonize those regions to create markets for Pfizer and Moderna and, and the rest of these insider cronies. It's just a really troubling turn. And, and as you point out, this this merger of corporate and military and state power is, is troublesome historically because that's the definition of fascism. And to see the militarized response to COVID and to see it as a tool for opening up new markets for certain people in the ruling class to make a lot of money is, is even more troublesome. Well, unfortunately we're actually out of time for today. I'd love to continue this discussion, but we'll have to postpone that for another time. So I hope everybody's enjoyed the discussion. If you have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.news forward slash pulse. So, Toby, thanks so much. for This was a really great discussion. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and please come back next week.